0: You can support the show now by going to our Patreon. You can be a patron of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories uh, and get to do cool stuff. Give us a little bit of money every month and we'll cut you a bonus episode. Give us a little bit more. You can have my scripts and the research. Uh, I'll send it to your email personally. Uh, Also... We will do... uh, Maybe we'll do a Zoom. If you give us a little bit more money, we can hang out. I mean, because we do it anyway. Why not just invite people, right? How can you not, as two guys that used to DJ
1: on radio stations... I don't know if you heard about that from the 15th century, not to want to do a request and request your own episode to do whatever. You want to talk about Blackie Lawless again? I'm game. We can do this. <laughs> just visit our Patreon
0: page. It's just patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories, or you can head to wearethestoryguys.com, and we'll put a link up there. Support the show, and now let's do one for free. <laughs> Don't go to sleep, mom. Don't go to sleep. And Do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, boss? boost half your body sleeping uh, i sleep pretty hard
1: welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories
0: rock and roll bedtime stories exist to lay waste to the rumor and in your window about your favorite bands and your favorite songs my name is brian and i'm murdoch hi brian what is that is that a moose is that a deer what oh is that rudolph Are it's 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 one of the reindeer so do yeah. you have all the reindeer do they go on your roof i have one you just have one, one. Of those that seems, that's not enough. What do you do with one reindeer? That just looks lost. That doesn't look like. I think it was one of those things where we are leaving
1: my parents' house and my mom was like, here, take take a Christmas ornament. An, and it's like, you just take it. You don't ask. That's not an ornament. That's a yard fixture. That's it, huge. It, it's as big it, as you. I I think she has bigger ones and, <laughs> and several. And then she, I mean, she does it now, but she, she would put lights on them. So, so. is it going to go
0: in the yard or does it just sit in your basement? Gonna put anything in our yard, Brian. People walk away with stuff. Here. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna decorate my freaking house. You know this what is do? what Mar- Facebook Marketplace is for, bro. If you need like a, you need a little accent for your guitar collection or whatever. You need a, a new pedal, some strings. Just put Rudolph up on Facebook Marketplace, man.
1: Hey, I, I, uh, the other day I was like, I'm getting back into the hustle of meeting sketchy people and doing it. And I sold something in two hours and they were at my house in an hour. And I realized from my experience during the pandemic, when I was doing it, that I was not doing it strategically and I should have been very careful about it. Cause it was
0: weird. Yeah. 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 You never quite know what's going to be on the other end of that, man. It, it is, it can be all, all sorts of things. Uh, so we recently talked on the show about Rick rolling. And if you remember during that episode, we took this quick detour to, to talk about the intense attitude and disrespect that never going to give you up came under. And one of the things that really illustrates that was this very true, very verified story that that song was used to annoy Manuel Noriega into surrender when he was hiding out at the Vatican embassy in Panama in 1989.
1: Yeah. Which is unbelievable. And then made again, to make us fall in love with the song and Ted Lasso. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Now, we're here to talk about it in a different way.
0: Some reports refute that the song is what actually got Noriega out of there. Uh, so, some things I read said it was the song. I, I think that's too convenient. Uh, I, but we it's do too know... Funny. It's too it's funny. Too funny, we, yeah. We do know that it was used, though. That has been verified. And so this, telling that story, inspired several letters. Thank you for folks who wrote in. Uh, asking for more details on how music has been used as a weapon. Yes, I love it. It's so awesome. I love it. everyone that listens to this show that thought about taking
1: <laughs> my favorite thing and then using it to hurt people. That's what, I, that's what I'm excited about. I want to hear. And what I really want to know is how the artists feel. Like, like oh, we're, we'll get I, there. We'll get there. I, how disappointed would you be if you were the four guys in Metallica? And um, and uh, the management came in and they said, "Hey guys, I want to let you know before this hits the papers, at Guantanamo Bay, they're using one of your songs to torture these enemy combatants." And they no one says anything. And then one of the band members goes, "Well, okay, well, I guess that's kind of awesome. Which one is it?" And they're like, "It's nothing else matters." Do you imagine how like that would just make
0: them feel awful? (laughs) Like they would probably be like, "Why isn't it Battery?" Uh, Or, Or you know, right? So actually, a couple, a couple changes to that hypothetical that did happen, and you know they did use Inter Sandman, and mm-hmm. and James Hetfield is on the record with a reaction to this. Oh, I want to hear this. In, in which he said, "We've been annoying our friends and family with our music for so long. If it can do something good for the country, we're all for it." Yeah. Yeah. He's, so
1: he's. He's the guy that moved up to the high country in Colorado because he wanted to get away from those wacky Californians. <laughs> but I still, I still think, I still think they're, I still think that they're all right. they're an all right band for sure.
0: So okay, this is what Carl writes the show. Guys, I know I've heard rumors about Metallica and Van Halen records being used to torture people during the war on terror. But when did this all start happening? What's the story with messing with people using heavy metal? Oh my gosh. Excellent. Carl. Carl, do you wanna get married? I'm not gonna tell I'm not gonna tell my wife yet.
1: But I want her to know I wanna compare our music collections and then I don't physically have that much anymore, but like man, I got a lot. I mean I gotta look, Brian,
0: here's the hard drive here's one of the hard drives of music. You're gonna give me your Spotify password? This is a serious relationship. I don't, I don't even I have mean, that. I, I have
1: hard drives of of stuff. So I wanna hear I, I love Carl's question.
0: Let's, so Let's do it. Okay. First, that's an excellent question. Second, we see this depicted in all sorts of pop culture, right? Sometimes riffing on the same rumors that we've already talked about. For instance, there is a semi-recent episode of the CW show, The Flash. I know that's a regular Murdoch household show. No, it's not. I like
1: like the movie the the 80 1980
0: movie but not the show uh so there is a there is a scene in a recent episode where a character plays never going to give you up on repeat to get someone to reveal information so that like oh. that has become such a thing that we see it on television and so I do want to spend some time essentially doing some like historical deep diving to see where yes. military practices and rock and roll collide
1: I had a question if you haven't covered this I want to ask you because i know you probably looked into some of this stuff do you recall ever watching a film or a television program where you watched that happening where there's obviously a person who's the the evil person and then there's the music playing and there's yeah. a person being tortured and sometimes there's a person watching the person being tortured that's yeah. in agony do you remember cuz i have i have at least one but i know that i've seen other ones do you remember like any seeing that in movies before it was like thinking about heavy metal and the war on terror.
0: Do you remember any of that? Um, Yeah. I mean, so there is a real uptick of this stuff that happens after the early 2000s, right? So it's become depicted in Homeland and lost and Ozark and American horror story and walking dead. And I mean, I recently saw the new Paul Schrader movie, the card counter, and it's depicted in there in a pretty disturbing way. But what you're sort of asking about is like, do I remember seeing this, pre the war on terror is that what you're asking i want to ask you do you know why i get the
1: heebie jeebies every time 96 teardrop starts playing no tell me (laughs) about this it's because of Stephen King's Cat's Eye. It's the uh, movie that with Drew Barrymore and the cat that gets her breath, but there's that guy who want, he gets everyone to quit smoking. Yeah. And that's how he, he kidnaps their family and puts them in a cage that's electrified. And as soon as the curtain opens, it goes and 96 teardrops. So every time I hear that, I think I was ten, I guess, when that
0: came out. So I think about I think about my parents getting electrocuted to that song wow dude that's a glimpse inside your brain i didn't need holy so, crap
1: so and when i when i finally i, I saw question mark in the mysterians when i lived in new york it was totally awesome and it kind of i don't think it was healing but it was it was fun <laughs> it was fun to see that like okay this this sound this ear awful earworm is created by that weird guy that wears that turban yeah who, whose name is question mark like that's his that's, you
0: know, it's just yeah. totally bizarre. So, so, for me, I never thought about it again until the war on terror, I don't think. So, that, you know, it's, it's great that you jumped right here because I do think that a lot of people associate it with the war on terror, but it, it definitely existed before then. And actually, to really get to where the beginning of this uh, is, we got to go back to 1948. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, World War II ends, and there's this new outfit. That you may have heard of called the United Nations. And they set up a committee with the intent to stop future wars. So I, I got to ask have you ever been on a committee? Not not one as bad as the, out, the outcome that they didn't get,
1: but yeah, I've been on committees. I mean,
0: it's always an interesting experience, right? But usually the stakes aren't quite that high, like you know the prom decorating committee, the yeah. snacks in the break room committee, the yeah. end all future wars committee. You know, it's a. Wow. Can we get one more person
1: to get some spray paint to paint the <laughs> trash cans in the parking lot? We need we'll... somebody to bring
0: bananas on Friday. Can somebody bring bananas on Friday? That trash can thing really is a real example in my life. But go ahead. Uh, I can imagine. Imagine the the gung-ho guys who get the call to be part of this important new committee at the United Nations, and they feel really special, and then they're like, cool, so what do we have to do? (laughs) No big deal, man. We just need you to to, to let war (laughs) never happen again. NBD, NBD.
1: Yeah. If you could get those, uh, go into the future, uh, and we understand there's a movie we read about called Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and we think those people can help us stop wars. So if you could go find those people... Yeah, that's got to be a terrible. So forty. So uh, when did the Korean conflict
0: start? Okay, so so that okay right. <laughs> they don't do well, but here. Two two years later, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like the Rod Howard thing on Arrested Development. It, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Obviously, the task at hand is pretty monumental, but this group does take a stab at it, right? And one of their first moves is they basically establish and protect this idea that there are rights that are universal for all human beings. So, like, this, people assumed everybody thought this, but there wasn't, like, a body that had said, hey, we should probably just acknowledge that if you're human, certain things shouldn't happen to you by, or at least... Caused by other humans. So the result is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR is what I will call it from here on out. Okay. Passed by the General Assembly of the UN on December 10th, 1948. Itself not legally binding, but it does have a bunch of influence. The UDHR becomes the cornerstone of this, like, sort of still expanding universe of international treaties. And deep at the core of this thing is a list of basic human rights that apply in all situations. The right to life, the prohibition of slavery, and the one we came here for, the prohibition of torture and cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment or punishment. I can't believe we're here and we're
1: talking about the United Nations <laughs> passing this. And at any moment you're going to say the word
0: Pantera. Uh, and I can't and I can't <laughs> wait that these, that this is gonna collide. <laughs> this is so great. So this is an explicit statement by the UN, right? Like so before, like I said, most countries were sort of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to people. But like this is an explicit statement where these countries come together and say, This is what we agree on. But once a grand statement is made about something like this. The lines are a little more clear, and it's harder to live in the shadows. And so for lack of a more precious way to say this, it forces creativity. And you you sort of have to realize that there are competing impulses here, especially in America. On Hmm. one hand, it has become clear how detestable and inhumane and awful things had gotten in Germany, right? The whole world is reckoning with, with what this World War meant. And countries are wanting to make sure that their proverbial houses are in order. But at the same time, the Cold War is starting to heat up, as you've already mentioned, right? And you can make a lot of money. Right. Uh, all puns things. intended, also. I, I can't believe you just let me say that. The Cold War started to heat up. Uh, and the paranoia... I, I, I let you go right through. Sorry. The That's a pun? I thought it was just a temperature quip. The, the <laughs> A temperature quip? <laughs> so paranoia is getting to a fever pitch, right? And if World War II had taught us anything, it's that we have to be prepared to defend ourselves. So when the UDHR drops, what essentially happens is that those in military positions of power start looking for loopholes. Because they're Mm. like, okay, cool, we get it. We're supposed to play by rules, but we still have to be able to get the results that we need. So one side note, not in the notes that I will mention, is that last year, my wife and I were talking about something she'd heard on a podcast about... Uh, using hard drugs for the CIA, using hard drugs and experimenting on people with hard drugs for like mind control. This all happens around that same time. We're not going to talk about that today, but that's another offshoot of this. Like, Holy crap. We're outside of world war II. Now we're sort of more paranoid than ever, even though we also don't want to be the guys caught doing the bad stuff. So how can we do this in a covert way? Yeah. And it's so
1: weird that you mentioned this too, because this is uh, we're almost Halloween and and i did engulf myself in probably a a little bit too much for people uh, things about 911 and and watching things that that happened and watching footage from the day and everything because i i used to live there and it was it's just personal and i just wanted to watch it and i wanted to hear those stories and hear how people were impacted now but and the one i watched was like very you know it was heavy and heartfelt and everything you know and then my wife watched a different one which covered that. And then I left the room and came back. And like there's people in Bush's cabinet talking about just what you're talking about. And I'm sitting there stunned in my bedroom. Like, they're explaining how they were trying to figure out how to get around the Geneva Convention. Yep. Like they're trying to figure yep. out how to take the anchovies off the pizza. Yep. And I'm like, and, and I'm like, I can't believe you let they let these pricks on TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a slight uh detour here to explain how different our lives are. So that's what's happening at your house. In my house, I was down in the basement watching television paused it, went to do a uh an errand for my wife and she texts me and says the kids are in bed, the house is quiet and I hear people talking and crazy noise and I walk downstairs and you left Big Trouble and Little China blaring. <laughs> Like Kurt Russell's got your back, baby. Don't worry, it's all good. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Um, okay, so b- <laughs> back back to this back to this thing. Um, these competing impulses. So they're looking for loopholes, and what do they come up with? They come up with this concept of quote unquote no touch torture, no direct physical violence on the part of the torturer, and yet it produces the same kind of destruction of subjectivity of the victim now the cover story when they start to research this is that they are they are researching schizophrenia and they even get cia money so just like the drug stuff that Sidney gottlieb was doing they get covert cia money but what they basically start figuring out is that they can do this thing that comes to be known as sensory deprivation Ugh. They put participants into situations where they couldn't really interact with their environments with touch or sound. And one of the ways they pull this off is by using one constant noise to mask other noises. That's so awful. So you can see where this is going. Basically, to nutshell this and speed it up, by the 70s, we start to get regular accounts from prisoners who have survived torture in different parts of the world of this idea of, quote, constant noise masking other noises. Huh. But they say specifically what they're hearing is very loud music. But why? Why music, right? So you and I, like you already said, like you made a joke earlier about this thing I love being used as a weapon. So And, 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 and it is, I don't mean that in a sarcastic way or a mean no, way. No, not at all.
1: And even, am I meaning it in a funny way? Kind of. I, I don't know how I feel about any, I mean, things are so upside down. And this has been going on forever. I just think it's funny If I ever have to hear like Cemetery Gates by Pantera, I have to think
0: this is torture. I used to think this was awesome when I was 19. Well, to your point, there's a lot of other noises you can make to cover your ears. If the idea is to mask other things and drive people nuts, you wouldn't have to play music. Like you could play nails on a chalkboard on a loop, right? Or you could play an air siren. Or you could play my wife's iPhone alarm clock ring that she uses at 5 o'clock in the morning.
1: I'm really sorry. You have one of those too. Mine's at 5 as well. Look at our wives getting up and working hard for the money. They're smart, man. So, uh, yeah, I I can't, I don't understand.
0: So why the music? Uh, A few reasons. One, convenience. Musical recordings are easy to get, right? So let's just, you know, people are lazy. Number two, (laughs) playing loud music doesn't sound like torture from a distance. That's the one I didn't think of. It sounds like, it sounds sort of like a party, right? Uh, But also, there is this long history of military punishment and musical interplay being wound up together that goes back way farther than the 70s. It goes back way farther than 1948. So are you ready to go to the Middle Ages, baby? So Europe, Middle Ages, executions had a drum line. If you were going to get your head chopped off, there were going to be beats. They were going to play drums. (laughs) I did did not know that.
1: Uh, Oh, me neither. It's all new.
0: Britain, 1700s. This one's crazy. You get dishonorably discharged from the military. So I do not know what you had to do to do that in the 1700s in Britain. But if you do, there's a drumming out ceremony. Literally what it's called. So they lead you. So (laughs) this is the best part. So they, they get all the guys that are on the drum line. And they're like, who's the weakest looking guy on this drum line? You, and that would have been me if I'd been in the drum line. They'd be right. like, here, here's a leash. You're going to take this guy. You're going to take Ed, who we are dishonorably discharging. You're going to put him on this leash. Mm. And then we're going to march him out of the camp while we all play drums. And we're going to embarrass the, the hell out of Ed. That is, that is unreal. So, all right. And for a long time, in different forms, there's been this concept of forced singing where you actually get prisoners to sing the songs of their captors while they march around. Wow. That's so weird. Now, I mean, you see this in history books, but one example of this comes from an Amnesty International report about Turkey in the mid-'80s, where this was happening. Okay, so this is where we make the jump. This is where we're going to make the jump to Metallica and Van Halen. Like, kind of. Uh, In the War on Terror, there were definitely elements of using music as captor songs, right? Like this idea of this is America, grab you by the balls, dominate you, force you to listen to our music. Payback by Slayer. Yeah, (laughs) you will hear us roar. And also, psychologically, there's a good argument that giving a bunch of adrenalized dudes an excuse to listen to metal makes the whole thing, when you're torturing other humans, easier to justify. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. think about yeah. the crazy stuff you've done when the music's been loud. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like I think we can all think of stories where it's like, man, I don't know, but then it's you know, I even say like I even joke that people are like, How'd you get through all those years you worked in commercial country music, like promoting Florida Georgia line? And I'm like, dude, if it's loud enough, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> You know, if it's if the speakers are good and the sound system's good, I'll never forget walking through this this honky tonk club that we'd have to spend time in, and they would be blaring those songs, and you'd hear the bass hit, and I'd be like, man, all music at this level sounds delicious. And, and for
1: me, I always felt like I was gonna kind of have an allergy attack listening to that music, <laughs> but I, I, but no, really, it's totally true. But a funny story: I saw Danzig uh, 93. Three or whatever. So he was just blowing up, um, and there's this song he has that's a non-LP song he's released that's called "When Death Has No Name," and it has this killer part at the end where it just the whole pl- like the whole place just turns into a big swarm of people, and so everyone's starting to to mosh, and I just run over and there's this huge dude and I just run over and just shoves the crap out of him, and he just stops and his friends stop and they all looked at me and I was like. Crap. And I just ran away. I didn't know what to do because <laughs> they were so big. And I've, I've never just run across and just ran into somebody to shove them. Well, well, it's not even in my thing, but I mean, it was, I was, I would say Danzig, he, he, Danzig had me. Right here. Well, you, like, you like said you wanted
0: you wanted me to say the word Slayer, so I'm going to say the word Slayer. I know one, did. one of the things that you and I bonded over early, and is definitely on the Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories bookshelf, is Fargo Rock City by one of my all time favorite, um, you know, really thought people, but writers uh, Chuck Klosterman. And there's an essay in that book where he he talks about witnessing two guys punch each other at a Slayer concert. <laughs> like right when rain and blood starts and they just like one guy just punches the other guy and then they like hug and make up. And it's just like, because of the music. So I definitely think there's a little bit of that, right? It's like, let's adrenalize. Uh, okay. So hey, by the way, have you ever seen the video where they were rain and blood and they're
1: playing it live and they dump the fake blood all over themselves while they're playing it. The, 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 the irony is not dead. I get it. And it's a totally weird. And I've seen it a couple of times, and uh, like I've never seen it in person. But I can see how that would be pretty intense to watch
0: that for some people too. Then your arms just out of control, hitting yeah. the stranger gonna, next to you. I'm gonna punch Larry in the face. Go ahead. I, I've never seen somebody punch another guy. Well, I have seen people throw punches at a concert, but not not in the sort of like camaraderie sort of way that is described there. But I did see a guy walk out of a a mosh pit at an AFI show and just vomit everywhere and then walk back into the mosh pit. And I was like, "Eh, "Okay, I haven't seen someone go back in. Yeah, no, it was good. He was like, yeah, and he's like, I'm going back. Everyone's like, all right, I'm not going back. Fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so now that we have our historical (laughs) bearings, uh, let's talk about specifics on the Militario Stereo. 2008, a journalist at Mother Jones publishes a list of songs that she was told had been used by ex-soldiers and detainees during the War on Terror. So, she didn't get this from the military. She got it from people who had come out of the military. And here, I'm just going to read you a quick sampling of these songs. And these could be from anywhere. Not Guantanamo, like a black site? Like, Yeah, yeah. They could be from anywhere. Right. I mean, what, usually when people are talking about this, they're talking about Abu Ghraib or they're talking about Guantanamo Bay. But it's really just the War on Terror in general. So... We got the band Dope. You know those guys, Dopey. Uh, they yep. their songs "Die MF Die." Yep. Uh, Take your best shot. Both of those. Couple of Eminem tunes: "White America" and "Kim." Kim is. I don't want to listen to "Kim" by Eminem if I can keep from it. Uh, Drowning Pool bodies. Oh wow, that makes sense. Yeah, and Metallica enter Sandman. Yeah. Now these are yeah. the ones we hear about, right? In most yeah. most of these line up with this idea of captor songs, bodies hit the floor, die mf die, enter Sandman. Yeah. This is this is a statement. We are we are messing with them, not only with a form of music they don't understand typically. No. Oh. Within their country, because it's not how music sounds to them, you know. uh Unless it's Metallica, Maybe. but yeah, it's it's <laughs> universal language. But, okay, so those are, those are the kind of the, the captor songs. But when the Senate Intelligence Committee report comes out in 2014, so, like, I'm sort of skipping what happens, six, but basically six years later, yeah. there's a bunch of, there, there is actually a Senate committee that says, we maybe shouldn't have been doing this, and so they start to do the research, and if you've seen the movie The Report, it sort of tells this story. It's got Adam Driver in it, and there are some wow. scenes where you hear loud music and torture. Um And so you, that's sort of what we're talking about here. But there's, there's first this whole story in Mother Jones and these soldiers say we use these songs. Then they do the Senate committee report and there's only one song that comes out in the Senate committee report. You want to take a stab at what song it was? Not, not
1: never going to give you. Okay. So it's something else, but it's metal. No, it's not metal.
0: No, it's this. (laughs) that is the blues brothers soundtrack version of theme from rawhide it's the blues brothers version yes specifically mentioned in the senate floor on the senate floor is the fact that they used this song do you remember in the
1: movie when they sing this, that's when they're at the honky-tonk and the guys, they, they hate them and they're throwing beer bottles at them until they, until they play Rawhide. Yeah. And then they throw the beer bottles more and cheer. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, it's like one of the best parts of that movie.
0: I'm going to read the report. CIA records indicate that in the CIA interrogation of Ramzi ben Alseeb, the Blues Brothers rendition of Rawhide was played. CIA records state that Ben Al-Sahib's reaction to hearing the song was evidence of his conditioning as Ben Al-Sahib knows, quote, knows when he heard the music, where he is going and what is going to happen. Mm. So they would basically move him across the prison and play that so so they know that he was about to be tortured more intensely. Rolling, rolling, rolling.
1: That's what he would hear.
0: The two most common genres of music played for detainees. Are metal and country. Now, mm-hmm. do you want to take a guess as to why metal and country? They might be the least sophisticated and the word, like very
1: Western uh, sounding.
0: Yeah, they're, they're the most distinctly American. Mm, uh, you know, yeah. if you're in Stockholm, country
1: music for
0: or, sure. Yeah, if you're in Tel Aviv, you're going to hear Rihanna and Drake like that's going to happen right like you're going to go to a right. club in Israel and they're going to play umbrella like that's you know that's that's still part of good time music metal and country they don't have that sort of worldwide proliferation and so it makes it a foreign sound to the detainees but i also think there is a little bit more of this arrogance that permeates both of those genres country and metal in which they make it easier and better to be these sort of captor songs that we're talking about
1: yeah and me- metal songs have lo- all those kind of scary themes and, and, and any of those kind of things that you want to do country songs just sound like they would be awful to hear as i knew regardless waterboarded yeah. you know but,
0: that's all so but, but the, the idea that they're foreign which i touched on a minute earlier uh is important uh daniel levitin uh psychology professor at mcgill he wrote this book called this is your brain on music He he told New York Magazine in 2009, quote, our brains automatically process music and try to figure out what comes next. So any Western music would have done the trick. There are tonal structures that the detainees' brains can't figure out. Hmm. They keep trying. They keep failing. Just like if I made you listen to Chinese opera, it might sort of drive you crazy because you don't understand where it's headed. Your brain can't find the pattern.
1: Yeah, and you're looking for, you. for some people, they probably are looking for a rhythm.
0: So when you look at the list of songs that have been confirmed as being used during the War on Terror, there's kind of a couple categories. And one of them is the captor song thing that we discussed, right? And some of these that we haven't mentioned that are definitely on the list are Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. Um, we Are the Champions by Queen. D- do, do you know this band uh, Deicide?
1: Y- yes, I can't. Yes, yeah. So I can't remember them very well, but I remember having to, I, I played them on the radio in college.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. And then I've
1: seen them on this I've seen them
0: on this list. <laughs> and and so how do these artists react when their tunes are being used for this? We already talked about this with Metallica, right? Quote If the Iraqis aren't used to freedom, then I'm glad to be part of their exposure, says James Hetfeld, co founder of Metallica. We've been punishing our parents, our wives, and our loved ones with our music forever. Why should the Iraqis be any different? Mm. Uh, so, Deicide actually sent out a press release when their name came <laughs> up on the Mother Jones list. This is, they, you know they had some PR company or some, some guy at the record label who was like, man, I know what to do. So, they quote their drummer, which, why are you letting the drummer talk? Drummer Steve Asheim says, It's cool. If we're up to military standards of audio abuse, it makes me feel like we're doing our part for the troops. Fine. That's a boneheaded thing to say, but whatever. But then he says, My dad was a Marine, as would my uncle and my grandfather. I didn't follow in their footsteps since I was so busy with the band, but I'm glad I was eventually able to contribute somehow. (laughs) Hey, You know what? You know what? Everything he said...
1: It makes perfect sense. Just <laughs> very practical. And I under and, and everyone that's listening understands. You understand what he's saying. Absolutely. Well, I- he wanted he wanted to he wanted to get Drink, he wanted to drink and get stones and play <laughs> metal and get girls. He didn't want to go fight. Yeah, but he's acting like he was too busy for it. Like I, day, like I got I got listen, I got band practice four days a week <laughs> and I gotta go I work at the liquor store on Thursdays and Fridays.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. That so, is fantastic. The The Associated Press got Steve Benton from Drowning Pool on the record saying, I take it as an honor to think that perhaps our song could be used to quell another 9-11 attack. Wow. Uh, and nobody and nobody said, screw you guys. Uh, well, Benton eventually issued an apology, saying oh. that his, his quote was taken out of context. Now, yeah. w- but... Except for him, what allows these folks to be so flippant about this? Like you said, right? In short, I think it's because if God told them it was cool, it's cool, right? And we wouldn't be living up to our personal brand if we didn't dip into the Bible for a moment. So are you ready to go to to, to Sunday school? It's
1: so funny. For the last two like sentences that you were just using there, I was like, I have no idea what Brian's talking about. What are we doing? What's okay. going on? What did Brian – he said God – what it, I had no
0: idea what was happening. T- That's
1: like how alien I, – I was like, what's going on, Brian? Well, we I, I always say
0: this. I always say this. If, if there is an issue that someone is able to tie back to the fact that God told them – and this is, this is why it's – okay, this is an experience you didn't have. Uh, but if you're, in, if you're in high school and you're me and you, you date a girl for three weeks and dating means watching uh, John Travolta's Phenomenon <laughs> – I'm just, I'm just giving you a real glimpse here. <laughs>
1: what, a, what a great movie. On, I uh,
0: know, on VHS.
1: Great. I mean, you could have watched that Scientology movie that he was in. But yeah. No. That's phenomenal.
0: So, uh, and then after a couple of weeks, you're feeling pretty good about it. And she says, Well, you know, I, I just don't think God wants me to date you. you. You can't argue when someone brings God into the equation. Right. You can say like if yeah. someone's like, I don't really like the way you did this or like, Look, like, you can defend yourself. But if someone says God said it, then you there's nothing you can do. You just have to be like, all right, God knows more than me, I guess. And and I, I couldn't go like I immediately
1: got defensive in my head. I'd be like, really, girl? Like Because I can't imagine <laughs> that's that's the point of view. But now as a person who has changed somewhat in my spiritual and someone said that, I'd be like, I. Right.
0: A 2008 article from The Guardian has an opening paragraph that starts this way. According to U.S. military authorities, it was God himself who first wrote the strategy of torture by music. (laughs) Wait, wait, what? Listen, listen. Joshua's army used horns to strike fear into the hearts of the people of Jericho, retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Dan Kuehl told the St. Petersburg Times quote, his men might not have been able to break down literal walls with their trumpets but the noise eroded the enemy's courage. Can I ask something? Do you think this
1: story that's in the st petersburg press <laughs> with disinformation from the united states army to get the
0: russian military to listen, think that we're listen. all
1: powered by god
0: do you know this story about joshua no. okay i haven't heard anything about it. this is so good this is classic sunday school stuff right and here's why it's classic sunday school stuff i gotta explain it to you because yeah. it's sort of pacifist at first It definitely doesn't end that way, but at first you're like, oh, cool, they're fighting with horns. That's sort of like a ska band. Okay, now let me tell you, most of the Old Testament does not fall into this category of pacifism. So if you are teaching a room full of first graders anything pre-Jesus from the good book, you run up against this issue of trying to justify a bunch of murder because there's just people getting killed, heads rolling, literally off bodies, everywhere. For instance, you know, uh after David kills Goliath, like they cut his head off. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of head rolling. So this is this isn't happy ska band either. This no. is like Mephiscopheles. So I was listening to them like last week. What song was it that my son and I were jamming? He's like, what is this? I was like, bro. Madaloni has this, a first yes. name. It's S-A-T-A-N. OK, so yeah, that may have actually been what we were listening to. So this story about Joshua. Okay, this bro's got his own book named after him in the front of the BIBLE, And it's totally ripe for flannel boards and construction paper crafts, man. It's so good. It's so good at first. So the book of Joshua, just real quick primer here, is the story of how Israel conquered Canaan. You'll understand that most of the Old Testament is about God protecting the people of Israel and giving them things, right? And, and protecting his people because they're his people. So... Joshua is the leader of the Israelites at this point, and they feel encouraged by God to conquer Canaan. Canaan, known to people who know the Bible as the land of milk and honey. It was this promised land. Now, they've been literally promised this land, but they have to do the heavy lifting. So they decide to start with this city in Canaan called Jericho. So Joshua sends in some spies, and they figure out that the city is promised. Pretty freaked out because they've heard rumors and innuendo about the people and the God that Joshua and his people, the Israelites have on their side. So it's jo- so crazy. I love this, by the way. So Joshua decides, I think we could just freak him out really bad." So he does essentially command some musical psychological warfare. This is what they do. The Israelites and the army march around this walled city once. Every day, because Jericho's got walls around it as defense, right? It's like that period in The Walking Dead when they build the walls around them. There, you know what I'm saying? It's like that. Walls uh, of Jericho, by the way, amazing Halloween song. Go ahead. So, oh, so you know a little bit of the references? That's what this is referencing. So, walls yeah. around Jericho. So they get the priests in front because they gotta they gotta be very overt that they've got this the god of the Israelites on their side. And they're carrying this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. That's a whole other podcast, but just know that it's a physical object that's a big deal for the Israelites at this time. It's like, it's holiness, right? And so the priests are walking around the Ark of the Covenant, and they're just marching. And they just go and they march once around the city, once a day, for six days. And so imagine the psychological thing that starts to happen when you're inside the city and you know the army that is coming to defeat you is outside your city, but they're just walking around, not doing anything. They're just walking uh-huh. all in a line around your city, marching. And then the seventh day happens, and they march. They march once, and everyone's like, "Oh man, they're still at this." And then they start. They keep marching. So imagine now you're freaked out. You're like, "Oh no, they're only supposed to march once." They march around the city seven times, and when they march the seventh time. The priests pull out their horns. They all yell like it's the end of the ska song. Hit it, hit it, hey, hey, hey. And the walls of the city fall down. So they don't even have to scale the walls. They don't even have to blow a hole in the walls. They don't have to use a Trojan horse. They just fall down. And and that's where you fade out if you're telling this story to a Sunday school classroom. <laughs> And you're like, God delivered His people, and He took care of this work because they were faithful, and you know, that's that's an end scene. But what happens in the Bible is, man, there's a lot of people getting killed, lots yeah, of killing. Jackson shows up right with that oh, snake. And man, the there's gun. snakes so, on planes. There's uh, there's delicious cheeseburgers. It's a whole thing. Um, pillaging. Yeah, there's pillaging, there is curse there's like actually in the text there's like laying down of curses, like you shall be cursed and your people whoever like all of that happens. Great theatrics. Um so this this is what the military of the United States is referencing in 2008 to justify what is hitting Mother Jones. Like literally what they're using. Nationalism and religion making good bedfellows? Eh, Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean Okay. Oh my gosh. But but beyond this macho move of metal, right? So we can put that to bed. We get it, right? So there's nationalism, there's religion, there's testosterone, there's this idea of dominance. Okay, okay, we got it. We're gonna play Metallica. But what about the songs used in these environments that are just meant to annoy the crap out of people? Now, we. Yes, this that, is what I wanted. Yay. This is the part I was so excited about. That was the inspiration for this episode, right? I mean, Never Gonna Give yeah. You Up wasn't used to, you know, during the war on terror, really. It was used to annoy Noriega. So a few years later, so Noriega happens in the late 80s. A few years later, they do this same thing with the Branch Davidians did you know this oh, they,
1: they did yeah they played music Dude. i remember yeah because i watched a couple documentaries about it. i forgot the tunes though
0: during the waco siege in texas the repertoire then included an andy williams album which by the way shouts to andy williams my uncle julian huge andy williams fan and that's why i know who andy williams is
1: i wonder, wonder how andy williams felt when his music was being used after they burned people
0: alive go ahead also these boots are made for walking by nancy sinatra and I can't believe we get to mention this guy on the show again. I'm so excited about this. This And you got to understand from a technical... I'm just going to pull the curtain back. From a technical aspect, it means that when I go to tag this episode with this guy's name, it's already going to be preloaded because I've tagged another episode with his name. Mitch Allen or Mitch Miller, uh, the sing-along with Mitch Miller guy from 1961, like the yeah. first <laughs> use of karaoke on television? Yes, yeah, they played him doing Christmas carols. Oh, how odd. That is crazy. Uh, so now well, how can, I, I have to ask you something. Yeah. If we
1: haven't, are we going to leave Waco? Because I have a Waco question.
0: Uh, we're about to leave Waco, so go for it. Okay.
1: Before we leave Waco, do you remember Waco? And if you do, yeah. do you remember what your family and people around you and people in the church community thought about yeah. the fact that the attorney general and the, the United States federal government went in and... These people had a cache of weapons and, and burned them all uh, in there. That that didn't leave.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, do you remember that? I, remember I do. Janet
1: Reno was on SNL, and I was, and now like thinking back, like, what the hell is up with that?
0: Did yeah. It? So the, in general, these sorts of things. I mean, we, oh, I've already sort of answered the question by pointing out that in 2008, the U.S. military was quoting the book of Joshua to justify musical torture. Okay. I mean, it was just sort of, I mean, that's sort of the answer, right? It's like if the government's doing it, the government's there because God put him there and I'm sure it's fine. And these guys were probably okay. doing some wacky stuff. I was
1: more curious in a very crazy curious way to hear if there was an opposite thing. At all, like you had an opposite opinion of people in your community. Well, I was pretty young because
0: wait, that's what ninety two. That's not yeah, uh, not yeah, 91, 92 it's Yeah, I mean, so I'm Clinton. I'm eight or nine. So yeah. like, I, you know, that's I, I, we're not really having in depth conversations. I just sort of remember hearing about it. And the other thing about the thing you're missing here when you're asking that question is that David Koresh was a false prophet, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's, so that's in fair. in, okay, in that it, case,
0: yeah. then it's like well, the, the government are the good guys because they're getting rid of the false prophets. Yeah. It's kind of like that
1: guy, the African-American guy who was on flight 828 on Manifest, total false prophet. <laughs> Set up that church, said he was a miracle. Um, not that I'm watching a soap opera at night my with my 11-year-old kid. <laughs> I was kid.
0: about to say, are you done yet?
1: <laughs> but let me know. I'm getting close to being done with the damn plane that came back... <laughs> And they were gone for five years and all that stuff. But go ahead. So, are we leaving Texas? By the way, well, I want to okay. say it has some nice places. But we, if we're leaving Waco, I'm pretty all right
0: with now, it. Now, the results wanted in Waco and wanted with Noriega were different than the results we've been talking about with the War on Terror. Right? They were just trying to get people to leave somewhere. So it, it, it's not the same, right? They're not yeah. just trying to literally drive somebody crazy. They're they're trying to annoy them out. Now, when applied directly to torture, there is a term for the like more lighthearted tunes being used for, for this sort of deviousness, and that is, they start to call it then, futility music.
1: <laughs> what, a, what a vague nothingness.
0: Supposedly, the use of this music is designed to convince the prisoner of the futility of maintaining his position. Do you know the most famous piece of futility music used? You want to take any guesses? You, I mean, this is like the really famous one. That you hear about the most.
1: Oh, jeez, shoot me. Directly put the war on terror in my face. (laughs) World my house. I love you. I give up.
0: What do you want to know? I mean, (laughs) what do you want to know? (laughs) What do you want to know? (laughs) This is widely documented that they used uh, Barney, I love you. What an awful thing. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like just hearing about it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I I don't even know. It it feels really weird. Others on the futility music list: Saturday Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Yeah, I was gonna say, where's the disco? The meow mix jingle,
1: at least meow 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 meow.
0: Used in combination at least once with an overdub of babies crying.
1: Wow, that is just wow.
0: That's awful. And that's here, my least favorite noise in the world. Now, here's the one that I find a little offensive to my personal tastes, which is Babylon by David Gray. <laughs> you remember that time we got really drunk at a David Gray concert, or was he it just, just me that got really drunk at a David Gray concert? Wait, wait we had just met, and, and you got really <laughs> drunk, which
1: is totally <laughs> weird because that's never it's, happened again. It
0: never happens. It, it's maybe it's all, the only – I was going to say, is that the drunkest I've ever been around you? It probably is.
1: Yeah, and every time that we've been drinking afterwards, I've always been drunker since that night.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's literally the only time that I think that I was drunker than you ever. Man, that was a good night, and it's a weird <laughs> thing to go get hammered at a David Gray concert, but I was into it. Um, yeah, you're yeah, you were headbanging
1: at David Gray, dude. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen. Listen, everybody listening. Brian Babylon uh, was banging his head like whole body, like he was. You know, not like a, uh, you know, let them bodies oh, hit the wow. floor thing. But wow. it was like, it, it's like you were listening to like
0: R&B. This is why I don't drink when we go out. Uh. No, but how much fun
1: is that? It was odd <laughs> for me because I just met you. And I was like, ah, well,
0: he's having, I was like, this is great. Uh, I'm normally that drunk. Uh, so... What does David Gray think about this, right? Not me, not me headbanging, but what does he think about this whole torture situation? I mean, this is sort of your question from the beginning, right? What do the artists think about this? Yeah. So, so we've gotten there. He told the Guardian in 2008 that, "quote It's an issue that no one wants to deal with. It's shocking there isn't more of an outcry." And I'd gladly sign a petition that says, don't use my music. But that seems to be missing the point a little bit, (laughs) which is totally true. He does later even ask the question about copyright law. Like, hey, dude, do I get royalties for this? Um, Yeah, when does that become, you know? Yes. So if you look at the Wikipedia entry for, like, uh, music torture or something, I mean, I've been into some weird places on the internet recently. But there was a specific (laughs) spot where they said, like, uh, you know, there is some conjecture that the US government probably owes a bunch of artists a lot of money. But, like, nobody's, like, who's going to enforce that? So, they also, wow. in this in this Guardian article in 2008, they talked to the guy who wrote the Barney theme. And he basically just says, I, I, I couldn't make this up, dude. This is legit what he says. He basically is like, yeah, like, in terms of usage of my song, I really, like, I draw the line at a stripper using my song. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't want a stripper to strip to that song, but as long as they're not doing that, it's probably fine. Wow, that's really what he said. That's really what he said. It's okay to
1: torture people to to this children's song I wrote, but women can't take off their clothes. <laughs> like, to me, like, who cares? Women can take off their clothes whenever they want. It's a job. In this 2008 it's like, piece. It's, like, it's so sad. So that's... I immediately dislike this Barney guy in his song. <laughs> I didn't like your song. I don't like you, sir, for not for not being cool with with strippers or sex workers. Not using your song, I would be delighted if someone used my song for anything. No, not not Trixie or whatever. Like, <laughs> let's,
0: let's screw that guy. The the Guardian staff actually starts calling record labels in this article. There is, quote, this is from that article. There is clear reluctance within the record industry to discuss the use of music as torture. The Guardian attempted to contact artists whose songs have reportedly been used by the U.S. military, a diverse group that includes Metallica, ACDC, Drowning Pool, Deicide, Eminem, and Bruce Springsteen. And in most cases, inquiries were met with a polite but firm no comment from management and PR representatives, or our calls were simply not returned. End quote.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you've got money on the line and you don't want to discuss that. So bad PR
0: everywhere. What, what, what are you going to do about this then? So on the December 9th, 2008, the Associated Press reports that various musicians were coordinating their objections through an initiative they'd set up called Zero. DB like decibels Mm. and this all gets set up by this legal charity reprieve which represents 30 prisoners in in Guantanamo now reprieve still exists 0 DB aims to stop torture music by encouraging widespread condemnation of the practice and by calling on governments in the UN to uphold and, and enforce the conventions against torture and other treaties that are out there the initiative gets backed by the musicians union um, and and they call on British musicians to get involved and show their outrage, and a series of silent protests and actions get planned throughout 2009. Hmm. And the idea is you have a whole bunch of musicians who, whenever they do a concert, they take a moment of silence to to like bring this up and then make everybody be quiet, right? Hmm. Among the musicians united in their objections, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, Massive Attack, REM, The Roots, Rise Against, Roseanne Cash, Pearl Jam, Bonnie Raitt, Trent Reznor, Billy Bragg, Michelle Branch, Jackson Brown, T-Bone Burnett, David Byrne, Steve Earle—like those all seem spot on the type of folks that would protest this. Like if you were to say, Brian, make a list of the acts you think would be upset about their yeah. songs potentially being used, but no, none of those people's songs. Well, maybe Rage. Rage Against the Machine was actually. Um, used. But most of those guys, I mean, no, nobody's listening to, um, you know, Night Swimming by R.E.M. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they were. Uh, so it's beautiful. Such a beautiful song. Here's the more surprising voices raised as a part of this protest system of a down disturbed skinny puppy and a limp biscuit all actually part of the protest. Skinny puppy. Yeah, been a while those since are, you heard those. Of
1: them. Are, those, well, yeah, I heard all those bands. I'm just, those are kind of heavy bands too. So I didn't know anything about any of those bands. Objecting to it.
0: What What did Zero dB accomplish? That's really the question, right? And the short answer is not much. Uh, the Zero dB website is gone. Almost anything you can find about this effort is from 2011 or before, and it just sort of chronicles the original outrage but there is not anything I can really find showing that much has changed other than we're talking about it and it's like generally sort of people know about it and it's in pop culture. And maybe that was always the point, right? Maybe the point was let's proliferate pop culture and make sure people understand this is happening and, and maybe it'll happen less or maybe it'll happen or, more. Yeah. You
1: know, that just desensitize us all to the fact that like <laughs> we use the Barney song to torch people, um, which is probably what I think that the government would do.
0: So, I mean, this is a depressing place to end, but I want to make sure we put the right punctuation on it to say, damn, like, that's rough. But let's end here. Have you ever felt in a hyperbolic sense only that a particular song or album is felt like torture to you? If I was to threaten you by saying I would force you to listen to one particular song or record over and over, wh- what song or record would I be putting on?
1: Um, the Barney song is pretty top for me. Um, and then up there and then the Wiggles. Okay. And and then, um, there's a Tim McGraw song that makes me feel like Bradley Cooper. Oh man. Um, Which one? Indian Outlaw? Back when that song does. It's before, it's before I met you. And I worked at the same radio station that you worked at. And there were so few songs in rotation that there were a small group of very heavy rotation songs. And they just came up every 90 minutes. So I I literally sat in a studio for eight hours and punched a clock. And I, li- I had to hear that song every 90 minutes. And and I didn't understand how rage-filled. Oh,
0: I got it, Brian. This one's not that bad. Tim McGraw has way worse songs. I've
1: taken my headphones off since no one can see what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to turn it down. But thank <laughs> God. <laughs> no, it's still on. <laughs> uh,
0: if you want to get involved with the show, we are the Story Guys <laughs> at gmail.com. Visit patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. <laughs> And uh, support the show. Get bonus content. We'll, we'll do a bonus episode where Mark has to listen to this song for an entire half an hour. We'll find out what Brian doesn't like to listen to. And we'll listen Gala, to Gala Peavy, I Want an, element, or an Elephant for Christmas. Oh, is that what that song's called? Oh, yeah, I Want an Elephant for Christmas. You hate that? Oh, Hippopotamus. Hop-a-p- oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've reached the point of the show where I can't talk at all. Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. I i want a hippopotamus for Christmas. That's the song I'm thinking
1: of. It's because you've been tortured by Tim McGraw here at the end. You can't (laughs) freaking talk. This is the the bait. I mean, we have one job and I can barely do it. When it messes you up,
0: it's Tim McGraw's fault. Oh, man. If you've got something you want us to research, if you've got a rock and roll bedtime story you'd like us to tell, again, we are the story guys at gmail.com. We are the story guys.com. Check us out online. And until next
1: time, Murdoch. Keep using your music as weapons, people. It's the best weapon that's out there. And keep telling stories. Black and shiny vinyl, clicks and pops and white noise. Man, they sounded
0: fine.
1: I hate it. (laughs) I hate that fucking song, Brian. (laughs)